This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. American Sex with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. So it finally happened, Ken. What finally happened? The dicks have won. Can, can you be more specific? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of excited for me, but no, like I don't know. If no, this is... no, not in a good way. The dicks have not got, won a good way. So okay, <laughs> Snapchat. No sense. But we Snap- but we did win. Well, it's not you went on something bad, and you're not one of the dicks. So Snapchat is the home of the unsolicited dick oh, pic, right? Yeah. Although I have done that before, and I I'm sorry that I did it. Well, you've learned, right? Yes, I mean, I, I haven't sent any since that were not asked for. So these people on Snapchat have not learned. So I'm on Snapchat, and I get a guy that I don't know going, "Hey, hi," and and, and I just ignored it because "Hey, hi" is the sign of like I'm about to send you my dick. And then he, he messages and says, hey, if I send you a picture, can you take a screenshot of it and show it to everyone? So he must have been one of those guys into humiliation, you know. And so I replied back, no, in capital letters. And then he replies back, well, alrighty then. And then the next thing is a dick. And I was just so pissed off. Of course, I blocked him immediately. And at that point, I'm like, you know, okay. I have left the DMs, the private messages on my Snapchat open because that's how you communicate on Snapchat. Right, right. right? I mean, I'm sure people are going to want to suggest like, why didn't you just not accept it? Because you knew it was going to be a dick pic. Well, that's part of my job right. no, is and I know that. communicating with people. Yeah, I also, can't that's, just that's, shut down. That's making you the, the problem. Right. I can't just shut down my DMs because this is part of my job is communicating with people. And I communicate with lots of awesome people on Snapchat. So I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. I I have shut down my DMs, so it's only friends only. Sorry, people on Snapchat. However, and one of the reasons I did that, A, because the dicks, the dicks have won. Dicks, you have won. But secondly, Snapchat is kind of becoming a little bit of a ghost town lately. They've changed their algorithm and their their stuff. But I still like Snapchat. Okay, so here I was I actually I was talking with Lily about it on Snapchat, and she's like, I love your analogy because it dawned on me. I've been on Instagram lately because they're trying to be like Snapchat. They have like a whole Snapchat thing. They have a YouTube-esque thing. Yeah, it seems like Instagram is getting hotter and hotter However, and hotter. it's not fun. It is not fun. I, I kind of feel like I'm still, you know, working. I don't feel comfortable. Everybody on there, you can kind of tell they're trying to put on their best face and be a little bit more manicured. And I realize, okay, just like sex, right? So when people are like, hey, my sex life has gone south. I need something to spice it up what do we tell them one you know like like dr jess talked about you bring novelty and newness into the 
positive relationship and it's something that gets you outside of your comfort zone and makes you kind of uncomfortable or afraid. That's the one thing. And secondly, you and I talk about in our classes, and even like Midori talks about the importance of play and and the the seven principles of play that Dr. Stuart Brown has. And one of them is like, or it's like you have a freedom from time that you want to keep doing it. And another one is there's improvisational potential. And it dawned on me that on Snapchat, there's all of these fun filters and they're always changing. So you always want to see what the new thing is. Oh yeah. The improv potential is much higher. Yeah. And it's like, I'm totally, I'm myself. I don't care if I look stupid. I don't care if I, it gets me out of my comfort zone to put on like different characters and voices and say silly things that I would just never do on Instagram. So Snapchat, now that we have a great sex, snap, snap life. Now that we have a great snap life, I have to leave you because the dicks have ruined it. So, and well, also you you've know kind of ruined yourself. There, there's because. so many analogies between that and Friendster right now. It's like, cause the dicks ruined Friendster. But Did really? I was never on Friendster. Not, not because they were penises though, just because like it was lame. Oh. Think about it. Friendster and MySpace are things that were a technology that were ahead of their times and then other people took what they did and added to it and surpassed it. And that's what's happening with Snapchat is that Snapchat is now a dinosaur. Yeah, but Instagram is not. So get better filters, Instagram. Give me continuous snaps. Make it so I can be silly and goofy. I just feel like when I do that many Instagram, what are they even called? Are they called snaps? Are they called? I don't know what they're called. Grams? Grams? I don't know. I don't even know what they're called. They don't have a name. This is makes it difficult. And it's I just feel like I'm bothering people if I do a bunch of stuff. <laughs> like people don't want to see it. We're on Snapchat. I could go on and on with funny voices and weird faces. And people are like, yeah. And then a lot of people are like, here's my dick. But I could do without that. So I had something to talk about today, which is also penis related. Oh, God. Uh, but it's almost the opposite problem. It's desire for dick and a lack of it. Now, I have a friend who is a beautiful person that lives in uh, Las Vegas, and she was trying to find a male escort to have sex with specifically somebody who had a giant cock. Now, it has to be 11 inches or bigger for my friend. She wants her cervix pounded into the dirt because, like, she she herself is a sex worker. She wanted to have a sex worker service her the way that she potentially does with her BDSM clients. She doesn't escort, but she is a professional dominatrix. But she wants the kind of care that she would give to her clients kind of returned on her, and she wanted to, to, to pay for it. But it's goddamn near impossible to do so. And she ended up calling uh, from the show Gigolos, Cowboys and Angels, because she was a fan of Nick Hawk. And wanted to see if she could hire him, but they blew up at her saying that this is an escort agency. We don't have anything to do with sex. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because they're in Las Vegas proper instead of like outside of Clark County uh, because prostitution is illegal within the city limits. So maybe that's why And they're just escorts. Plus, his rates are really freaking high. I think she like I want to say it's 1550, whether it's one hour or four hours. Wow. And then who would be like, no, no, I only want you for one hour. I mean, at that rate, get, get, you know, get four hours of Nick Hawk. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And I think, I think what it is is, yeah, they're, they're like, you know, hey, you can't talk about penis, but okay. So if you're looking for a sex worker and your thing is big dicks, but you can't you talk go? about the big dick, how do you? Well, yeah, that's exactly the problem. So Sesta Fossa has made it so that you can't really talk about it on things like back pages, which is where you would go before, or uh... Craigslist or other places like that. And, even on Twitter, where there is a ton of, it's like sex worker Twitter, there's a ton of cis 
women that are sex workers there, uh, but there's very few cis male workers that are, are sex workers that are there. Like maybe like 1% of them uh, in it's very scattered. Like there's one guy in Baltimore. There's one guy in Dallas, uh, but I didn't see any that were advertising on Twitter in Vegas at all. Wow. Wow. Let alone somebody who had a giant cock. So you want variety. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, like if that's what you're looking for, I, I, I would assume that penis size is part of, Whatever the preference, you know, some people might want girth, some people might want length, some people might want just a dick that stays hard and they don't really care as long as the person is intelligent and has great conversation. Well, big dick uh, sex workers in the Vegas area that you may have a hole to fill, just saying. There is a hole to fill, and if anybody, we, we know one of the holes that we needs know to be one of the holes that needs to be filled, a professional hole that needs to be filled too. It's really hard to find a cock for hire in Vegas, which I something I never thought I'd have to say. Right. Hi, everyone. I'm Ken Melvoinberg. And I'm Sunny Megatron. And don't ever send me a picture of your penis. Even me? Well, that's okay. You are okay. Can I have permission to send you? You have permission to send me a When would be a bad time to send you a picture of my penis? When I'm at a funeral. No, that would be okay. Be Depending perfect, on who's, fu- better who's, to, who's funeral. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like to put the fun in the funeral. That's just me, though. And the cock. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Sunny. I didn't mean it like that. That's where your mind went. I'm just thinking of a dick prick. I don't know. So off with the necrophilia and on with today's interview. This Who's week, this week's guest? This week's guest is Ariel Clark. Now, Ariel Clark is a San Francisco Bay Area based educator and consultant specializing in intersectional awareness, parenting, coach and sexual health educator. She began facilitating parent support programs as an undergraduate at UC Berkeley while raising her two sons as a queer single parent. She then went on to earn her master's degree in the social justice focused human sexuality. In 2012, she created an international sexual health and parent education resource, the Sex Positive Parent. Ariel empowers parents and families of all shapes and sizes to become more informed and empathetic when teaching their children about boundaries, consent, gender, and sexuality. In October 2017, Ariel created How to Be a Woman and Not Give a Fuck workshop series, which she's currently on tour with internationally. It focuses on the diverse lived experiences of all women and addresses things like invisible labor, compassion fatigue, and gaslighting. So this was a really healing conversation for me. So... There is this invisible world that women live in and we have more expectations on us and we do things like more of the housework and the child rearing and the organizing and we're expected to be the peacekeepers at home and at work and all that other stuff. And we're burning out. I'm burning out. I think all of us are burning out. So although I give less of a fuck about all that stuff now that I'm older, I still have some little tiny baby fucks that haven't quite left the nest yet. So this conversation totally helped me. And the conversations about sex positive parenting helped me a lot too. So listeners, this is a really good one. No matter what your gender is, no matter if you're a parent or not, you're going to get something out of this. Do you know where we're on the way to soon, Ken? Yeah, we're going to cope. <laughs> it's like, just, it's like we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to tell the listeners why we're laughing because we've recorded this like four times at least, and I dyslexic BDSM and I put BSMD. So I'm looking at it on the, and it's just making us laugh. Anyway, yes, we're on a cope, which is a BSMD, otherwise known as a BDSM conference. And guess what? Peep Show Toys has loaded us up with a huge box of two ounce jars 
of the butter's personal lubricant to give to the students in the classes we're teaching. Peep Show Toys is a small, independently owned pleasure products retailer, and they go above and beyond to support other small businesses like the Butters, which is a small, queer, Black-owned company. So please send Peep Show your love. Head on over to peepshowtoys.com. And when you do, use code SUNNY at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your order. And by the way, you can use that code as many times as you like, no matter how many things are in your order. Sweet deal. That is a sweet deal. And you can buy some, some equipment for BMSD. BMD, B, BSMD, yeah. <laughs> We're also hosting a giveaway this month with Castle Megastore. You can win a pretty love Ford silicone clitoral stimulator. To enter, go to sunnymegatron.com slash pretty love Ford, and you'll also get 20% off select items at castlemegastore.com when you use code SUNNY. That's S-U-N-N-Y at checkout. We love that you're listening, listeners. That's what we call you listeners. And we love the support you give us. Now, if you want to help us continue to grow, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We would absolutely love that. Also, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And lastly, tell your friends by sharing our social media posts, bringing our podcasts up to them in conversation, or recommending us when they're asking for new podcast recommendations. And... If you'd be so kind as to extend your support on Patreon, we would be thrilled. Head on over to patreon.com slash American Sex, and you'll get all of our episodes early and a bunch of other perks, too. And if you happen to be in the Las Vegas, Nevada area, and you know a tattooed man with a giant 11-inch penis who happens to be a sex worker, please feel free to forward my email to him. Thank you. So you know what's going to happen, Ken? What? We're going to get all of these emails now at americansexpodcast at gmail.com. You can also ask your sex advice questions there and we'll answer them on air. <clears throat> but what's going to happen is we're going to get all these people emailing us and they're going to be like, here, I got a big dick. Here's my dick. Because <laughs> I'm so sick of dick pics. Ken, I'm so sick of dick pics. So if you're sending us giant dick pics, please put attention Ken in that subject line so that Sonny doesn't have to see them or put dick pics ahead like give a little <laughs> warning some kind of indication that what's going on because I'm not asking for proof of cock I'm just asking that if you happen to know the location of a sex worker with a giant penis in Las Vegas that also has tattoos please forward them our information and now that we've taken care of the big dick housekeeping here's Ariel Clark we have on the line this week Ariel Clark. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Ariel. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. I'm actually really excited because one of your newest projects is how to be a woman and not give a fuck. And you know <laughs> that perks my ears up because <laughs> I don't know if it's my age or if I'm just tired, but my last few fucks are starting to fly and I might mm -hmm. need help pushing the, like, the last little babies out of the nest, you know, my mm -hmm. last little fucks. I think so, you're done being a fuck farmer at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but I do know I need help. So yeah. what? where I want to start, because I have a gazillion questions, where I want to start is when you say how to be a woman and not give a fuck, who are we talking about when we say woman? That's a great question. I include all women. Like if you identify as a woman, if you're femme of center, if you're a non-binary identified person who like skews on the femme side, 
if you were raised a woman and maybe you've transitioned, maybe that wasn't who you were, but you still and like took in all of that kind of conditioning that women or girls are kind of inundated with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I try to make it as inclusive and open as possible awesome. because the social identity group woman is kind of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about social bias and gendered bias and the ways that society treats different people and puts different expectations based upon your gender identity. Mm-hmm. So all the women. That's awesome. So, all right, start with the basic question. Why do we need help not giving a fuck? Totally. Well, so it's interesting. I grew up, my mother gives zero fucks. Like my mom was raised, you know, in Alabama. Okay, my mom's the kind of person, kind of woman, that if someone is standing too close to her in like the at the bank, right, in mm-hmm. line, and someone just keeps creeping up on her, she'll fart on them. <laughs> like genuinely just let it rip sometimes it's silent sometimes it's not and she just looks at the motherfucker like what yep i stand back you're too close to me your mom is awesome yeah she is and so you know my mom was always such this person to say like don't compete with other women you know men's opinions they're they're like assholes everybody has one never be a sheep like my mom just instilled in me this really kind of insubordinate nature so I grew up kind of giving fewer fucks than a lot of my friends. Oh, so you started with like a lower balance in your fuck bank than everyone yes. else? Okay. Yes, I did. And then as I've, I've, I've gotten older and I've been around, you know, different kinds of social groups and social justice and um, personal growth and empowerment. And I'm just like, a lot of the female empowerment stuff is just like give more fucks, care more, do more. And I'm like, how about the fuck not? Like, how about we give less fucks? Because this perpetual desire or need to be responsible for everyone's emotional well-being, you know, the sense of guilt and should and I'm never good enough. We give so many fucks. Like, we're told and we're rewarded. Like, we're rewarded. And I'm saying we as in women. We're rewarded for giving the most fucks and we're expected to give all of the fucks and if we don't do that somehow it means it's okay for us to be devalued or mistreated or there's this weird social contract that if as long as we're trying to give all of the fucks then we're seen as good yeah you know i saw i don't know if you saw this just in the last week you know what is the the singing group uh not simon and garfunkel garfunkel and oates Garfunkel and Oates or Oates and Garfunkel. Now I'm fucking that up, but mm. they came up, came out with a new video and it was this song and they start out with like, they're a woman and insinuating they're in a relationship saying, you know, work takes precedence over being at home and I don't have a lot of time for you and da da da. Mm. And when you first start hearing this song, you think like, wow, what kind of an insensitive, cold, not caring. And then they kind of turn it around and go, but guess what? If I were a man singing this, this would be my normal life. And I was like, oh, my 
my god i fell for that oh god i should know better you know my head exploded and i mean do you see that as part of the core problem that we are not expected to you know hey we have to give fucks about everybody else but Mm -hmm. it takes away from our own fucks like there's an inverse relationship about caring for ourselves absolutely i mean that's the thing like we're all going to give fucks like all of it's just who we are we care about things we we have concerns we have desires and drives but most women are taught to not be at the center of their own experience we're taught to center our experience in other people's lives like we're not supposed to be self-centered we're not supposed to um think of ourselves first and then see how that impacts or affects other people we are often taught checking with other people first and then decide how you feel oh yeah right Oh God, yeah, I'm having an epiphany. Like, because mm. I think I'm, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm up on this stuff, and I'm like, oh shit, that's me too. <laughs> yep. yep. Like, like Ken, for example. Yes. When I am like, we're somewhere, and I'm like, hey Ken, do you mind if I go to the bathroom? And you're like, why are you asking me? Like, I do that shit all the time. You do. And and I frame like in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm just being courteous. Like, right. <laughs> but I'm really am I Ariel, tell me, am I not just being courteous? Is there more to it than that? No, I mean, it's 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 a sense of so we do those things because we want people to do it for us. Right. Like uh-huh. you're courteous to your partner because you want your cur- your partner to be courteous to you. And you're aware there are times that it's inopportune for him to leave you, right? Like there are certain times like, hey, if you can hold it for like 10 more minutes, that'd be great for me. Or there's a way that we can make this better for both of us if you just kind of clue me into your process. Right. So we kind of overly communicate and we are overly considerate because it's our way of like topping from the bottom, so to speak, right? Ah, yeah. 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 So it's a way and it's it's a hard thing to tell someone because there's this trope of, you know, teach, treat others the way you want to be treated. And while that has some truth, it also ignores, like, when are you abandoning yourself in favor of making a relationship go smoothly? Hmm. Like, how much conflict are you trying to avoid? Or how much confrontation are you trying to be a step ahead of? Interesting. Yeah, now my brain is di- my brain's like, right? And it's, it's yeah. digesting all of this. Totally. Because there's sometimes when, like, if you were to say to your partner, hey, do you mind if I go to the bathroom? And they were like, actually, right now is the worst time ever for you to go to the bathroom. And if you were completely unaware of why that is, that'd be strange, right? You're like, whoa, I had no idea that was happening for you. That's so (laughs) unlikely. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right? Like, there's a pretty good chance you know when your partner is, like, having a thing and they need you close to them. There's some shit going down. You can't leave right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you would know because you're attuned, because you're paying attention, because your partner's, like, lived experience matters to you. So, like, you're like, hey, I'm going to take a leak. Okay. Cool. Whatevs. Yeah. So, okay. Emotional labor. Mm -hmm. We're hearing that word a lot you know it's all over social media there's memes about emotional labor so what exactly is emotional labor first of all for those who aren't really familiar with the term so emotional labor is a really kind of it's a it's a very compact way of explaining a very drawn out process 
So emotional labor is in there's something that needs to be felt either in a dynamic or in a relationship or in a situation. Someone needs to be responsible for the feelings that are occurring. And if one person refuses to acknowledge how emotions are impacting a situation, then that means the other person is responsible for it. And so if you and I are interacting and you're being upset and you're having some kind of a really intense emotional response, but you don't know how to process it or you don't know how to deal with it on your own, but I can tell it's happening, I'm more likely to say, oh, let me help you feel this out. Like, let's let's do this together. Or, okay, I'm going to do the work to help you process whatever overwhelming or intense or even just kind of annoying emotions you're feeling. And right. we're going to get through those things together so that we can actually get to the thing we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so example, emotional labor, let's say, you know, one of my friends is, you know, having a hard time with a relationship or something, and they need more of my attention to help them process or kind of do like our own little, you know, on the side therapy with each other. That's like, kind of a working example of emotional labor. And that's something that you're expected to do for your friends, or for your partners, or for your children, or, you know, people in your family. So when does emotional labor get to be a problem? Like, when is it acceptable? And when is it like, okay, this is, you know, one sided or unfair, or you're demanding something of me that's not reciprocated? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's interesting, because emotional labor was first kind of designed to talk about jobs like it actually was about labor like it really was about in order to keep your job or to do the functions of your job you have to regulate your emotions in such a way that your superior or your client or your coworkers don't see them right like it was mm -hmm. about managing your emotions and doing all of this labor to make sure you can do your job that's separate from your actual job mm. and Women of color were kind of the first people to really talk about how much emotional labor it takes for them to do just their regular jobs because they're dealing with sexism and racism. And that's a lot of labor on their part to contend with those two kind of invisible forces playing out all the time. Mm -hmm. So having emotional labor be named as something that especially women of color, but anybody with a marginalized identity has to contend with just do their job. It makes it makes more sense why they have heightened stress or burnout or why they don't feel supported. So if they're saying, hey, I'm doing all of this labor in addition to the labor my white counterparts or my male counterparts, they're not doing it. I'm dealing with all this extra stuff and still getting my job done. Mm. Give me some fucking acknowledgement and respect and maybe some support, right? Right, that makes sense. So that was for, that was first. And then people started looking at it more in like in terms of relationships, like uh, like friendships and partnerships where there's a power dynamic, either a gender power dynamic or a race power dynamic. And people were seeing like, "Oh wow, men aren't expected to do the same amount of emotional labor in their relationships as women." Right? Like there's these tropes that men are logical, not emotional. Men are doers, not feelers. Women are just giant mammary glands, you know, like all this kind of like, we just, we're just nurturing. We just are emotional. Women are naturally empathetic. And so there's this way that it's our job in a relationship to process and regulate any emotion that comes up in that relationship. 
And that's a fucking, that's a problem because mm-hmm. A, it's based on a bias that's not actually true. And it, it overwhelms people who they themselves are learning how to deal with their own nervous systems. Like just because you're a woman doesn't mean you figured out how to regulate your own nervous system. Yeah. So you think about like young women who are entering into relationships, they're young, they're, they're trying to become their own people. They're trying to figure out how to be an adult in the world. And then on top of that, they have a male partner who doesn't have to feel or isn't expected to take ownership of his emotions that come up in the relationship. So she's doing twice the labor to stay in that one relationship. What is it that we as like, if, if I am a cis hetero white male, how can I recognize this if I'm in, in, in speaking for myself? Cause like I'm kind of stupid with this sort of stuff. Mm. So what is it if I want to help, what can I do or not do that will assist the process? Totally. It's a great question. And I mean, the first thing I, I tell all the people that I work with, all the men that I'm working with is kind of understand your own emotional triggers. Like you, you have, per, you have a personality derived after so many experiences, childhood, adulthood, the whole shebang. You're a complex emotional creature. You have an interior landscape that's full of just your own experience. Taking responsibility, first you have to understand that you have emotions and that it's okay and it's appropriate. And what what's your personal kind of cause and effect matrix? If this things happen, I tend to feel this way. If you can try to track that for yourself without expecting your partner or any women in your life to do it for you, like that, that's number one, like that's, that would alleviate a lot of the emotional labor, your partners and friends, you know, any women in your life have to do on your behalf, taking responsibility for like, oh yeah, when this thing's ha- when this thing over here happens, I have these feelings. And then it, it makes it about you as opposed to this other language of, when this person does that thing, they make me feel X, which is really common. It's a really common way to think about relationships. This is labor that men aren't often told that they need to do because there's so many women in their life who are down to do it because it makes the woman feel needed. So even if you have women in your life who are like, oh, I can do that with you or I can do that for you or I know this better than you do, actually saying to them, no, I, I want to figure this out for myself. This is my emotional reality. These are the ways that I feel and I want to be responsible for them. That's like Mm. the best thing you can do. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So I often try to put myself in the minds of the listeners Mm. and I'm trying to put myself in the mind of of like male listeners Mm because I mean... I try to think, you know, it's hard being a woman, but I, you know, try to think, okay, what, what is the shoes on the other foot? And we talk about toxic masculinity and all these things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men assume that we're saying, because you're a man, you're toxic. Right. But it's, and so, you know, just this conversation we're having might elicit this knee jerk reaction. Like, what do you mean? I don't know how to regular. So it's, it's a function of society that has raised men to to say, you don't need to be emotional. It's actually a detriment to you if you show emotion. And that a lot of men are just products of what they've been raised to believe. And and women as well, we're raised to be the emotional caretakers. And so we're playing those roles that are so deeply ingrained in us. So if I'm in the shoes of a man right Mm -hmm. now, who's like, 
I have no life experience mm-hmm. uh, very, you know, analytically dissecting my feelings and understanding my emotional motivations and blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, how do I just start? Like, right. I, you know, it's like expecting someone to, you know, go read this, uh, you know, Shakespeare and you barely know how to read, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. so how do we bridge that gap? Totally. No, I think it's really important to, to, you know, put everything in the context of these like larger social expectations, right? Like you and I and Ken, nobody asked us to make these social rules, right? Like, like no one said, Hey, Ken, do you want the world set up this way? You were just, no, they didn't ask you and they didn't ask me. And so like, we're all moving through these pretty non-consensual gender stereotypes and gender roles. Oh, I like thinking of it that way, like non-consensual. <laughs> like, hey, right. It is like, like nobody asked anyone. And here we are, you know, even those who quote unquote benefit, there's still pain, right? There's still a dehumanization that occurs for everybody. I mean, men are, they're not like they're like immune to the feelings of isolation or the feelings of not being attuned to, right? Like, if you can't express your emotions, then people don't know how to accurately attune to what you're experiencing, which is really painful. It's painful for everybody. Like there's nobody who's like, no, I'm good. Like it sucks. Yeah. So for the men who are listening, there's this workshop that I'm trying to figure out how to teach called like how to be a man and give a fuck. Ooh, I like that. Because it's the, it's the corollary, right? Like it's, you know, how to give a fuck about the things that you were told as a dude, you're not supposed to give a fuck about. And one of those is emotions. The second of those is being of help, but not feeling like a doormat, right? Like, there's this huge gendered identity around, well, if you're too helpful, then you're a sucker, or you're getting played, or you're being used, right? And it's like, well, okay, let's take a step back. And let's acknowledge your fears, your inadequacies, right? Perceived inadequacies, things you have been told that you were just not good at, you're never going to be good at, um, accept it, right? Like there's this trope that men have to contend with of the inadequate male. And it's really painful. So there's some way that empowering men to give a fuck, to give a fuck about their own emotions, to give a fuck about kind of the well-being of people around them and seeing that as nourishing and sustainable. And it's not this zero-sum game of resource distribution, right? Because that's a huge bunch of bullshit, in my opinion, that it's spewed all over men is this idea that there's finite resources and you're a guy and your job is to regulate how resources get distributed. It's like, man, no, no. your job is to like feel good about yourself, be kind, get your needs met, you know, don't be a dick. Like, it's just so basic. Which is kind of, I mean, when you put it that way, it's like, well, duh, isn't that the golden rule for everyone? But we don't live like Actually, that. I love Wheaton's Law, don't be a dick. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much how I try to live, which is really hard being... It's really hard. It, it is. It, it, yeah. it is really hard. And I think part of the problem specifically for somebody like me is that we always try to want to make the situation about us and we're really just 
trying to get caught up with where our partners' needs are, and we don't know the ground rules, I think is is part of the issue. I, I mean, I just realized a little while ago that all TV is made for white men. Yep. Like going back to any TV show in the 80s or 90s, like I was just rewatching Miami Vice and just uh-huh. realizing how everything is geared towards sexism or racism. Yeah. And it's not that I don't want people that look like me to have a voice. I just want other people to have a voice, too. Right. Like, and and I know when you came to me and said that, you were just like, whoa, like I'm watching it's new, Miami. It's new for me. Whoa. Like it's new. Like I, I was raised in, an, in a society right. where everything is centered around me. Where you didn't even think about and it. And now I'm trying to pass it. the mic at yeah, this point. Yeah. Like I just need to shut the fuck up most of the time. But then I said to you when you came to me like, whoa. And I was like, okay, so imagine being me growing up with that. And those are all the messages that I've ever gotten. I feel guilty. How much that's, I mean, it's not your fault, but it's like, it's an explanation for how much that has shaped me, how much that I do fall, even though I try not to, Mm -hmm. I fall into that, well, I'm the woman, so, and I'm the mom, and I'm the, so I'm gonna, blah, 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 you know, and, and going back to not giving a fuck, you know, I've had people say to me, men say to me, you know, if I'm like, hey, you know, I'm uh responsible for, you know, I got to, I don't know, take the kids to the doctor and I got to do this or I got to monitor who wants what for lunch and I got to mm. blah, blah, blah. And, and there's just too much that I'm giving a fuck about. Mm-hmm. And then they go, well, why don't you just stop? Yeah. And it's like, but then everything falls apart. Like, right. no, like these are things that have to be done. Right. So as a woman trying not to give a fuck, cause I've, I've g- give less fucks, but there's still fucks I feel that I have to give because mm-hmm. like, I don't want, I don't know, my kids to suffer because, yeah. you know, whatever. This is something that I've always done and nobody knows else how to do it, which I guess is kind of my fault because it's like I've been doing it, but they're still like, you know, trying to bridge that gap in between, like, I don't know, passing the baton, sort of, like, mm-hmm. you know, because when you it's like, if if you, you know, go on strike, so to speak, who's getting the work done? So as a right. woman, how do we bridge that gap? Well, that kind of touches on the other concept of invisible labor, right? Like the things that you do that nobody else can see, that are often logistical or um, the cement, right? Like everybody's kind of moving along in your family, but you're the one who's kind of got the master schedule or you're the one who's doing the most tracking and that's labor intensive. So the amount of emotional labor that women do is a lot. And the amount of invisible labor that women do is also a lot. Right. And women are often doing this like continuous cost benefit analysis okay, if I do this thing now, it's just going to be easier, right? right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's you why got, like, you guys me, are speaking a foreign language yeah, to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> but we know Sorry. it. Like, we're like, yep. Yep. Yeah. Like my sons, like, so my sons are 17 and 18 and my older son's about to move out for college. And it just hit me. I'm like, does he know how to clean grout? Like, have I ever made him clean grout? Because I think I tried once when they were like 11, you know, the boys were like 10, 11, and they had their chore list. And I think I taught them for like half a second, but then I was like, fuck it, I'll just do it. And right, I think because I just- then when they do it, and I get the same way with my kids, it's like, I'm going to try to teach you how to do something. And either they're being like teenagers where they're like... I did it and they do like a half-assed yep. job and try to pass it off and then you argue with them over yep. it. Yep. Or sometimes like they're still too young or too yeah. small or they don't have the dexterity and it just doesn't get done. So I'm just, I'm so 
not only have I wasted my time, I'm so mentally frustrated yep. where I'm just like, give me that scrub brush. Let me just, be, like, yeah. just, just leave me alone. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because the other thing is like, well, if I go through the, if I have the patience for them to go through the learning process of how to clean grout, I'm going to be stepping into some grody ass shower, like <laughs> for like six months. And yeah. I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. I, my life is complicated. I need my shower to be my safe space. So fuck it. I'm just going to be the one who cleans the hell out of the grout. But that's just like a metaphor. It's like a, it's like a small example for these larger things where we're under so much pressure and we're doing so much invisible labor that we don't feel free. Like we don't actually have the luxury of being like, sure, I have the capacity to let you learn how to do this thing on your time schedule, uh, your developmental capacity. This is fine. It's not fucking fine. And I'm just going to do everything. So most women operate from that space of, okay, I mean, we do it with everything. I do it with my work. I do it with my work too. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, and I think it's just me, a, a product of being a woman. And I know you've said this to me many times. I'm like, okay, we need to get like an assistant or some help. And he's like, yeah, if you'll ever delegate anything because you want to control everything. And it's like, yeah, maybe part of it is I want to control everything. But also part of it is part of it is it's just fucking easier. Like yeah. it's just and and I know that's like yes, it makes it easier in the short run, right. but in the long run I'm just digging myself deeper into a hole. Right. I mean, this is what the thing is that burnout, right? Like women have higher disproportionately higher rates of burnout in their fields, like in their occupations in um, across the board, like women in tech, women in academia, women in the entertainment industry, like there's these high rates of burnout. And it's because of that belief that we have to be responsible to make things go right. And there's a, and there's an invisible mechanism at play that, that we don't often see because it's painful. And it comes from the belief that we're not allowed to fail. Yeah. Right? Like it's a big deal for a woman to pursue a dream or to pursue an ambition to begin with because our baseline is supposed to be we just want to be taken care of, right? Like that's the thing we're taught that women, women's ideal state is just being nurturing, right? And then anything above that is kind of weird and quirky. Like, oh, wait, you want to have a goal? You want to have a project? You, you want to make a thing besides a baby or a home? Really? Well, we feel like we have to be so good at the thing we're attempting because no one believes in us. Like no one believes that we're actually supposed to fail and try things out and iterate. Like if you look at who gets to fail and who doesn't, you can see the gender difference. You can see that white men get to fail repeatedly and they're seen as go-getters. And look, he, he fell down nine and he stood up 10 and yeah, he dusted himself off and he got back out there. Right. And you can track that with money. Like it's an actual trackable thing. If we look at money as a marker, who is given loans, who can file bankruptcy one year and get full funding the next, right? Like we can see the way that this is monetarily trackable about who gets to fail and try again. 
skin. You know, it's interesting because we had this same conversation. We had an episode a few weeks back about um, girls and women in STEM, like science, mm-hmm. you know, tech, math, uh, engineering. Mm-hmm. And in, in the same sort of thing came up. Like, you know, we were asking, why don't girls beyond, you know, like when you get into high school and even college level mm-hmm. pursue STEM, the sciences, math, and whatnot. And it was, and one of the things was boys are allowed to fail. They're given a harder time if they fail. Like, you know, you need to do better. You need to get back up there and try again. Mm-hmm. And girls kind of get patted on the head, like, oh, that was cute. You did a math mm-hmm. problem. Good job. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that um, competitive sort of vibe and they're not socialized with that so Hmm. they kind of fade away i mean that's one facet of it for sure i would say that's a that's a a minimal mechanism as opposed to the larger mechanism of like so for me personally whenever i see these these pushes get more girls into stem i'm like why to subject them to more sexual harassment (laughs) Yeah. Like, fuck you. Don't push them. Like, okay, until we can actually make these fields more hospitable to multiple genders, I don't think we should be just shoving girls in there. Because right. if you look at what happens in these fields, and we have a plethora of information, right? We have so much actual hard data. And in addition to women who have been in these fields for 10 and 15 years now, talking about how toxic of an environment it is for women. It's not that women don't have tenacity or drive or competition. It's that the Petri dish is gross. <gasps> and there's more of that invisible emotional labor in the workforce. Absolutely. Bing, 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 bing. My, my big light bulb just went off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think it's, I think that this, I think a lot of what we do in society when we look for causes and effects if we ignore the amount of invisible labor that's happening, if we ignore the actual prevalence of hostility towards women, hostility towards queer people, hostility towards people of color, if we don't look at how the hostility is enacted through you know, either sexual violence or homophobia or policies that protect the more senior person who's a complete asshole, right? We don't yeah. look at those policies. It can look like, oh, well, girls just aren't trying or girls just aren't sticking ah. with it. It's like, that's some bullshit. Yeah. They're not They're Absolutely. They're sticking with it to such an extent that they stay until they burn the fuck out and then they have to go for their sanity. Right. Wow. So, all right. I have another question. Kind of going back to what we were talking about before with the invisible labor. There was a meme floating around Facebook. And if I can find it again, I'll put the link to it in the show notes. But basically, it was, um, you know, it was like a husband and wife or whatever around the house. And the husband says, like, well, honey, if you would just tell me what needs to be done, I would do it. And then and then the little cartoon goes on to say, you know, and it's like, Mm It's picking up a sweater that someone left on the couch. And and she's like, well, yeah, I could ask you to pick up the sweater on the couch. But what you don't see is as I'm picking up the sweater and bringing it to the other room, then, you know, a little kid needs a shoe tied. And then I see this out of place over there. And then I realize I didn't write the check for the da da da. And like, there are all these other things that come with it, where if I were to one, 
you know, take the time out and be like, hey, can you do X, Y, Z? And it might be something more complex than a sweater. You know, it's just a little right. cartoon. Um, that there are all these other kind of like sideline things that we do that nobody sees that we can't really explain, mm-hmm. sort of. Mm-hmm. So did you see that one? I did. I saw that yeah. one and I saw the one about a woman in tech drew a cartoon panel, like kind of like a memoir style, just a brief one. And she said, I went over to my mentor's house and his wife was making us dinner. And there was also a child and the pasta over, you know, the man, the husband and the mentee are chatting about work. And it's really important that she has this mentor and she's really grateful that this senior guy isn't one he isn't slimy right like he's inviting over to her home with with his wife and kids and it's all wholesome and shit so she's supposed to be grateful for that it's not like at over drinks in a hotel or something right mm-hmm. and so while she's there she notices the wife running around doing 10 million things taking care of the kid taking care of the pet and then the pasta over overflows the pot and the husband says well, honey why didn't you ask me for help i would have done it if you had asked yeah. And she just, you know, the and the and the person who's observing this, it just kind of clicked that the man, the man's work still took precedence even at home, right? right? It wasn't like he said, "Come over, I'll make you can have dinner with my family. I will make dinner. You and I can talk while I'm cooking." Instead, it was, "Oh, my wife will make dinner for us," right? And so this mm-hmm. guy wasn't some sexist asshole. He wasn't some evil, malicious dude. But it was just that division of labor and who is the house manager. Right. Yeah. All right. So we've brought I have, up. I have one, oh, go ahead. one really quick question, if I may. So if we are to unmuddy the waters and get women in tech, don't we need people like Anita Sarkeesian, who has actually gone through a very negative thing mm-hmm. in order to bring to light what is going on if it's not being recognized by the men that are in charge? No, we do. We need we need people who have gone through it and are able to be believed and supported and given time and space to process their experience. I mean, a lot of times what happens is that someone comes out with their story and they're immediately expected to have some kind of advanced analysis of how to fix it when they themselves are going through it still, right? They're they're living the experience. And so my dream would be for people who are in management positions, in funding positions, to acknowledge the emotional labor that these people are going through in order to just kind of bring to light what's known or what's, what's, it's evident to the people who are in it. Somebody is benefiting from that and somebody is suffering from that. And being honest about the power dynamics of like, well, who benefits if, you know, the status quo is maintained and who suffers if the status quo is maintained? And how do we actually make inroads? What's equity? What's accountability? How do we make the system acknowledge and make visible all of this emotional labor, all of this invisible labor that people who've gone through hell and back to stay in their positions or to stay in the field are going through? Like one of my, so I teach in San Francisco and I I teach several times a month. I teach the how to be a woman and not give a fuck workshop and it's mm-hmm. disproportionately filled with women in tech hmm. and Be- because san francisco well i think it's a because san francisco and i think b it's because the women who have made it in tech are women who follow rules you know they're women who have done everything they're supposed to do they have 
They have jumped through every hoop. They have been excellent at every stage because there's not much room for them. And they know that they're competing with like Smurfette syndrome is super real in tech. And Smurfette syndrome is this belief that there can, there only needs to be one woman on a team and she better be just like all the other guys, except she wears a dress. I was just reading about this the other day. That's, that's fascinating. Right. So these women come to my workshops and they are, they're confused as to why their jobs feel like shit. They're like, I'm an executive. I'm a senior software. I'm, I'm at the top of my thing and I'm still not getting basic respect. I'm still not getting, I'm still expected to like, remember everyone's birthdays. I'm everyone's sister. I hold all of the emotional space in my entire team. Like, why do they think I'm good at this stuff? I'm an engineer. My brain is not wired for this shit. I'm like a Vulcan. Like, what the fuck? Right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's that's gender bias. Like, you're experiencing gender bias at, at, a, at a basic level. So I think the women who have gone through it need a lot of support to both recognize the fact that they're being impacted by the amount of labor that's invisible, and they need people to believe them and who have the power to make changes make those changes based upon those people's lived experience. Okay. Yeah. So you're teaching the how to be a woman and not give a fuck seminars all over North America, right? Yeah. So far, okay. so far, um, I, I'm, um, I just did Canada. I did Ottawa and Toronto. Um, so now it's, it's, it's international. It's an international workshop tour. Nice. So nice. very exciting. Um, I've been to, the Midwest. I've been to um, up the Pacific North. Um, I'm heading to the South and further East for the next leg. Like I'm hoping to be in New York, Austin, Orlando, New Orleans, San Diego on the next leg of the tour, which I'm hoping to be um, in the fall because some of those places are fucking hot and I cannot hang with. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. I I hear you on that. All right. That's awesome. So I also want to talk to you about sex positive parenting for a bit because that is like your thing. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to get that when we get back. Great. Hey, psst, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for national public radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash American sex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American sex. A night like any other night, we were on vacation from Christmas. It was a week between Christmas and New Year's. My parents were followers of the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who is then known as the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. He's currently known as Osho, even though he's been dead since the 80s. And then I heard the noises again. And I looked again, but this time I could hear footsteps, like someone was definitely coming in. And when I walked into the bedroom, I noticed that um, Andre's side of the bed sheets were pulled down, but he wasn't in the bed. I wouldn't say we were a doomsday cult per se. But when the door opened, it opened like 
like from a horror movie. It was like slow and creaky. And then she held the knife over her head. I think when you get to a certain point where each time it got a little bit worse, but because I Welcome to Being There, a podcast devoted to exploring the extraordinary aspects of everyday people's lives. I'm Dick. And I'm Kelly. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all their major podcast apps. You can also follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Being There Pod. Castle Store. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you, listeners, get a gift too if you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing! Castle Megastore. Mega store. When you get your sex toys, you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money. You'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like, oh my God, give me water. That was the best orgasm ever. We are speaking with Ariel Clark and one subject that I am very passionate about, I am... Uh, the mom of two kids, 23 and almost, almost 23 and almost 17. They're having birthdays. Hmm. Um, so I have had my share of sex positive parenting, but even me being in the profession, I'm, I'm like, am I doing this right? Like, do you feel that way, Ken? Are you sometimes like, are we doing this right? Are we like, I think we're doing pretty good, but I, I think overall we're doing okay. Yeah. And the girls tend to come with us when they, when they do have questions about stuff. Yeah. It's interesting because they come to you for 99% of the questions unless there's a penis involved and then they talk to me. Yeah, which rarely is. It rarely <laughs> is. Because our, our youngest is in the queer lesbian spectrum, so she almost never has questions about dicks. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the other one doesn't care enough about dicks to matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my job's pretty easy, to be honest. <laughs> right. right. Like division but, 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 of is, but, but is that, an un- I was just going to yeah. ask, is that an unfair division of labor to you? Because you have to talk about everything else. Yeah, but else. then if they feel more comfortable, I can't be like, go talk to Ken. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you, you do send them to me when it's a medical question. Yeah, there are like some things where I'm just like, my I don't know, talk to Ken, gotcha. he's better, you know. But, yeah. all right, so sex positive parenting. Wait, I, I have one really oh. quick question. So your name, Ariel, was your mother a pilot? So that's really funny. Um, my mom is dyslexic. And the, the standard spelling of Ariel, which is A-R-I-E-L, she knew she would fuck up. And she didn't want any E's in my name. So she found a way to make my name a palindrome because it's that's A-I-R-I-A. Awesome. Oh, my God. So she can't fuck it up. <gasps> that's brilliant. Yep. I love your mom even more. That is awesome. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. Yeah, yeah, that's really And I know cool. that's a weird question. I hope it didn't come across as rude or anything, but I no, was just curious because you're not a mermaid. You're like an awesome air uh, elemental. Exactly. Yeah, because it's from the Tempest, right? The spirit <laughs> yep. that brings a storm is Ariel. So my mom, being the brilliant human she is, was like, this is this. This is who this is. And so I really enjoy being an air spirit. Like, I really enjoy being like, I am thunderous. I make things move. Like, it's just who I am. And um, that's what my Instagram handle is Ariel, my spelling, not Ariel, the other spelling. That's awesome. It's also the sign of intellect. Yep. 
Ooh, I like this. Yeah, my like I knew in tarot or tarot, however you say it, there's always a card that you think of yourself. I always think of myself as the queen of swords. Um, oh, that's a perfect sword, or that's a perfect card for you, right? And the deck yeah. that I use, she's uh, got a sword in one hand and a, and a man's decapitated head in the other, and she's on a <laughs> cloud throne. I'm like, yep, that's me. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. Someone needs to redo that card with like Kathy Griffin and Trump. <laughs> <laughs> That would, be that would be hilarious. Anyway, yeah. anyway. so sex positive parenting. We're yeah. sex positive people and we're pretty with it. And I still even have moments of like, am I handling this right? Yeah. So what is sex positive parenting just for kind of the, you know, the common person? Right. It's really basic. It's just the idea that sexuality is something that needs to be discussed positively, like brushing your teeth or um, changing your clothes. Like sex positive parenting means that you anticipate that your child will have a sex life that they need to be educated and prepared for. Which sounds a lot, you know, sounds pretty basic and simple. Mm-hmm. However, when parents start getting into speaking about, you know, certain topics, A, they can just get like, whoa, I'm talking about sex with my kid. But one of the things that I have noticed I even have a hard time, like, how am I handling this? Or, I, you know, I really have to think to navigate it. Are things around, like, especially because I have teenagers, uh, mm-hmm. things around privacy yep. and consent. And, you know, it's like, how do you handle, I want to make sure that you are not, you know, sending naked pictures because you're a minor and some minors get charged as sex offenders for being like, here's my 16 year old boobs, right? So I want to make sure that you're safe. But I also don't want to infringe on your privacy and be like, I'm going to go through your phone. I'm going to go through your browser history. So how do we tackle that? It's interesting because that that gets tackled at like, eight and nine years old, right? Like if you're trying to really broach that subject for the very first time when they're already doing that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you're fucked. Like this conversation needs to be had at developmentally appropriate stages from the time that they can understand that they have a body and that other people have bodies and bodies have feelings and sensations, right? Like you have to start so early Letting them know that their body is theirs, that it's okay to feel pleasure. Here are the boundaries. You know, these are the parts of your body that are private to you. This is how you make sure that you ask permission to touch someone else's body. Like you just start in these different kinds of ways. And so when they become teenagers, hopefully they're not trying to get attention or trying to be accepted or find validation sexually through somebody else's approval or, uh, you know, give me a picture of your boobs, then I will like you, right. right? You want your kids to not fall into that trap, right? You, It's not so much about the boobs, it's about the emotional reality that your child is experiencing. Like, if they really think, if I show you my boobs, you will like me, and you liking me means you'll respect me, or you liking me means I won't feel bad inside, that's not about the sex, that's about your child's emotional development and sense of self and self of, sense of belonging. If you shore those things up in your kid, they're not going to fall for that shit. They're not even going to be interested in that. They're going to be like, hey, I have a body. You have a body. What can our bodies do together? That's exciting, right? right? And then you've educated them on how to do that safely. The idea of kids just falling prey to this exchange of really vulnerable 
imagery, they're not just falling prey for no reason. There's a probably a psychological need that's being fulfilled in those interactions. So I try to encourage parents, like if you find out your kid is exchanging um, sexy pics, don't freak out about the pics. Get curious about your kid's emotional state. Like what's what's their well-being like on the inside that makes doing that thing seem so appealing? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So how about for parents of younger children. I'm all for, you know, and I think a lot of people now get like, don't make, you know, little Sally hug Aunt Bertha, Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't want to like we get that, right? right. But then we get to more complex things where my kids at the doctor getting an immunization or getting an exam because they have an infection that needs mm-hmm. to be looked at. And maybe the kid's freaking out and you see like doctors holding down limbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you handle, you know, there, there, you can be completely 100% in charge of your body and you shouldn't let anybody touch you mm-hmm. except in the cases of, or like in the news there. And I, I didn't hear the whole explanation, but there was a woman saying like, get your baby's permission to change their diaper, like get Mm. their consent. Mm -hmm. So how do we handle that? Well, I think that the, the, there's a, there's a kind of a willful ignorance at play in any of those kinds of conflating different parenting responsibilities. Like we don't have to treat them as if they're all or nothing, right? We don't have to pretend that, boundaries and consent are a contextual boundaries are always about context and boundaries are always fluid like teaching your children that this is the boundary in this situation does not mean this is the boundary in every situation and i think we see that a lot in like even sex ed for adults there's this assumption that if you can set this boundary with this person therefore you should be able to set that same boundary with any person we know that's not true We know that boundaries are based upon information, boundaries are based upon trust, boundaries are based upon communication. So if you tell your children, sexually, this is your body, sexually, this is the dangers, or this is what's appropriate, or this is what's healthy, that's a conversation to be had over and over and over again. And then you talk to your kids about healthcare and proper treatment and what you do with your doctors and don't do with your doctors. You can teach your kids every step of the way how to have informed consent with any medical practitioner that they come into contact with. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why is it necessary? Right? You you model that for your children when they're little. Mm-hmm. You're the person who holds that knowledge when they're young. And then you gradually bring them up to speed and you include them in the process so that when they are 12 and 13 and 14, they know how to have an informed consent conversation with any medical practitioner that they're working with. That's brilliant and amazing. And I hope a lot of people listen to that because that's a, hu- a question I get a lot like, well, I don't get, you know, as a parent. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you explained it beautifully. So now for the parents that are playing catch up, because you said before, if you're addressing, you know, like, let's say the naked picture thing as teenagers, you're already fucked because you should have been addressing it. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is the way society is changing just in the last few years, the way we are talking about sex in a more mainstream, open way, there are parents that are playing catch up that maybe didn't raise their kids in a sex positive nature and then realize when their kids were 10, 12 years old, or maybe approaching teenager years, like, okay, I have to really change my tune and become sex positive. So what Mm -hmm. advice do you give for the parent that's kind of switching gears or starting anew Mm -hmm. when their kid's older? 
Well, my first suggestion is for those who have the resource and ability, get a family therapist. Like, mm-hmm. do not do this shit alone. Like, find some a professional who matches with your values around sexuality. So if you're a queer parent or if you're a poly parent or if you're a parent who, you know, doesn't have um, sex negative beliefs, find a family therapist to support you in this process. That's my number one advice. The Mm. idea that you can just do this by yourself just sets you as the parent up for a lot of failure and frustration. And the time you have with your kid is finite, right? Like we know they leave the house. So to maximize the time you do have as a family, I suggest bringing in a third-party professional who's really skilled. Okay. That's my first suggestion. My second suggestion is try to try to find other adults in your life that you trust and can have as your support team, right? Have people that you can share about what you're experiencing as the parent Get their feedback. Make sure they're checking you for if, okay, we all have triggers, right? Like all of us have had plenty of fucked up sexual experiences and lots of shame. It's part of our culture to feel like shit about ourselves in some capacity around our sexual behavior or sexual identity. Our kids don't need to take that on. So have people that you can freak out with and then interact with your child from the most stable place you can. Right. And stable doesn't mean unemotional. Stable just means you're able to stay present in this moment with your kid. You're not bringing your entire sexual history with you into the conversations. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So if people listening are like, hell yeah, I want to learn how to not give a fuck even more. Or even less, even more, even less, something, you know, Uh, or, (laughs) or I need more information on sex positive parenting or whatever else you can do for them. Tell us all the information about you so they know where to go and what you do. Thank you. So you can go to arielclark.com and that's my name, A-I-R-I-A-L-Clark.com. You can find more about how to be a woman and not give a fuck there as well as sex positive parenting. Um, the website it also is The Sex Positive Parent, and I have resources and articles. Um, right now, I do workshops based upon invitation. So if you want me to come and talk to your parent group or to your community, um, just get a hold of me. You can email me, and I'm happy to come. And um, I'm on Instagram, Ariel Not Ariel. I'm on the Facebook. You can find me either under Ariel Clark or The Sex Positive Parent. They both exist as Facebook pages. The Sex Positive Parent on Facebook is where I post podcasts and, I mean, links, articles, interesting things, other resources that I find that I think are helpful. And then on Ariel Clark, I post more about kind of diversity and inclusion and equity and gender bias and how to kind of be nourished and supported while we contend with gender bias for all the different genders. Um I also rant there a little bit about fucked up shit that I see. So if you're interested in those kinds of explorational topics, I get plenty <laughs> pissed on my own Facebook page. Nice. Nice. That's where you give some fucks. Yeah. But only about the things that need to be given a fuck about. I mean, I really try to, fo- I try to fixate, I not fixate, I am fixated on faux empowerment, right? Like, like I like to call out, this is some fucked up shit and this is some fucked up shit. Do not spend $10,000 on that because there's such an insidiousness in the empowerment industry. Like imagine you come to someone and you say, 
I have a hard time asserting boundaries. I would like to work on that. And then someone says, great, give me 10 grand. I'll help Um, you with your boundaries. Wait, that person just said they have a hard time saying no. And now you're going to (laughs) exploit the shit out of that to make some money. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one last question for you really quick. If uh, I was a parent who wanted to have uh, a website for my child to go to, that's say 12 or 13 years old, Mm -hmm. do you have one that you would recommend to people? Oh, I mean, Scarletine is always the best. It's a little advanced for 12 or 13, but they do have a young teen section. I think Scarletine is consistently the best website for accurate kind of people-led, young people-led information. And Heather's Um, amazing. Heather's fucking amazing. I mean, the woman deserves a statue and a a library, you know? Um, The Body is Not an Apology is also a website I highly recommend. Sonia Renee, Taylor, Sonia Renee Taylor runs The Body Is Not an Apology, and it's got the most, like, diverse, radical self-love kind of um, content. So both Scarletine and The Body Is Not an Apology, I really recommend to parents to make available to your kids. Awesome. And we'll put those in the show notes for everyone. Yeah, and, and I know there was lots of links and everything, and listeners, all of that will be in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com. And Ariel, thank you. Thank you, This Ariel. has been an amazing conversation, and I feel a little bit better as a mom and a wife and a you know human being in the world. Excellent. So thank you for that. Great. Thanks and for having me. I you really know appreciate it. I give less fucks now. Excellent. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say bye to you and bye to my fox. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.